Man, it is great to be with you guys and to spend time, just to have the even, a, uh, and I'll spend time talking about this in a minute, but just this regular rhythm of worship that we have each week as we get to come together as the body of Christ and worship in spirit and in truth. It's a, a gift from God, and uh, it's our pleasure, it's our joy to do that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Uh, you can grab a copy there. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that Bible. Um, you can keep it. It's our gift to you, and we hope that you would read it and that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, would use it to conform you more into the image of Jesus. Uh, we are on week three of just going through a short series on the will of God. The, the first week, we, we talked about how it's God's will that we know Christ. And uh, Pastor Wilson uh, Beaver reminded us that, um, that uh, we are um, to know Christ as, as, as God's Holy Spirit draws us and changes our hearts. Um, it's His will uh, that we confess faith in Christ Jesus. And on week two, we spent uh, some time talking about the two wills of God for a bit. And we looked at Romans chapter 12, and we talked about the hidden will of God, and we talked about the revealed will of God, which is what really we're spending time on for this entire sermon series, or uh, is the revealed will of God, as we find in the Scripture, something we don't need to delay our obedience on, something that God has spoken, and that we're to submit our mindset, our lives, according to His Word that He's given to us, that He's pres- preserved for us so that we can be conformed more into the image of Jesus. And this morning, um, I want to look at um, a, a, a portion of Scripture toward the, uh, the, the latter part of, of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, uh, where uh, the Lord gives uh, some commands through the Apostle Paul to be applied primarily in what we do here on Sunday mornings, which is uh, corporate worship. And we're going to look at a very short verse, uh, but we're going to spend some time just wading through uh, this passage of Scripture's uh, implication for our lives. But just to give you a little bit of, of backdrop to help this passage of Scripture make a bit more sense, uh, Thessalonica, which is where uh, this local church was, um, that uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to. It was one of the largest cities in the Roman world at the time, and, and there were uh, over 100,000 people that lived there, and it was kind of this, this central uh, economic hub, if you will. It was, it was prosperous, it was uh, influential, and, and it was relatively free if you were to compare it um, to other places within the Roman Empire. And, and uh, Luke uh, who uh, g- gives us a, a little bit um, of Paul's uh, time in uh, Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. And I want to just read you a, a few verses here because it, 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 uh, it shows us just Paul and Silas and the time they spent there and their commitment to preaching the gospel there. But it's found in Acts chapter 17 starting with verse 2, and we have it for you up here on the screen. But Luke, uh, he, he says this. He said, Paul went in uh, to, to Thessalonica here. As was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned uh, with them from the Scriptures. And so he's in Thessalonica, and he went to the synagogue, and for three uh, Sabbaths, uh, he reasoned with them. He preached uh, the gospel to them from the Scriptures. This this Jesus who is claimed to be God uh, is Jesus that the the Scriptures you're familiar with uh, has uh, prophesied about. And so he, he was explaining to them, verse 3, and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer 
and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, speaking of Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers from the city authority shouting, before uh, brothers of the city authority shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they're acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. go. Verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So a few things here in Acts chapter 17. One, Paul preached for three Sabbaths about the gospel. He preached that Christ suffered. He preached that that Christ died, and he preached that Christ rose from the dead uh, for the sins of God's people. And, and people began to be persuaded by this message that Paul and Silas were faithfully preaching. And according to verse 6, the gospel that the apostles were preaching, it was, quote-unquote, turning the world upside down in the Roman Empire. It, it was changing. It was uh, changing things. It was, it was transforming people. And when people began to be transformed, that also begins to have an impact on the culture. It has an impact on the culture, especially that makes its uh, money that is prosperous off of those things which are contrary uh, to God's word and, and are immoral for God's people. And, and what began to happen is this allegiance began to be shifted away from Caesar, and allegiance was being shifted toward King Jesus. It wasn't that there was this revolution going on where the Christians were trying to overthrow Caesar's government, but their allegiance began to be primarily in the kingdom of God. And so the Thessalonians, like the rest of the Roman Empire, they, they were expected uh, to, to, to worship Caesar, and if they didn't, it, it was seen, even though it wasn't their intent, it was seen as a type of revolt. It was seen as a type of rebellion. So the, the Christians in Thessalonica, they, they snuck Paul and Silas out before, before the authorities could capture them. And, and since Paul's exit, the Christians there were, were faced with the charge of treason against Caesar. And this came with various um, uh, sufferings and persecutions and, and even economic persecutions along with it. And, and, and Paul told them that, that they would face affliction, but because Paul had to leave so abruptly, uh, he sent in Timothy, uh, whom he had discipled uh, and trained and eventually sent to pastor a church in Ephesus. Uh, he sent Timothy to encourage them in the midst 
of this affliction. And, and Timothy was encouraged when he came on the scene. He found that these Christians were persevering in the faith. He found that although they were suffering, they weren't abandoning their profession in the face of opposition. And he reports back to Paul with, with the news of persecution, but also with news of their faithfulness. So, so that's what's going on in the background of this letter. Those are the circumstances surrounding Paul writing First uh, Thessalonians to this local church. And and he's 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 writing a church that 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 he's he was instrumental in planning that's being charged with treason for worshiping Jesus instead of worshiping uh, the emperor Caesar. And so th- this this letter here um, that that we're about to look at that I'm going to read and then pray and we'll make some observations is this encouragement from Paul um, regarding corporate worship. In the midst of affliction, and in, in, in corporate worship, as as we'll see, is is going it's going to kind of be a uh, the way that Paul is arguing or the way that Paul is writing is is a bit of a top down approach. Um, this old theologian named John Stott he called this section that we're going to look at Christian community or how to be a gospel church. But in addition to speaking about the return of Jesus in chapter 5 that we're looking at, Paul addresses the relationship of the congregation to the, uh, and, and their leaders in local churches. He addresses the congregation's relationship to one another. And now, in our section, he's turning toward the congregation corporately gathered in worship. Our lives as, as a corporate people, as, as the body of Christ, it should have an impact on our individual lives, and the Apostle Paul knows that. And so that's why he's, he's commending a, a certain approach to corporate worship, even in the midst of affliction. Because what we do on the Lord's Day, what we do when we're gathered here, it should affect our Monday through Saturday, right? This, this shouldn't be compartmentalized to the rest of our week, right? The habits of corporate worship on Sunday should influence our habits as individual believers. So, so again, Paul's taking sort of a top-down approach here and saying corporate worship, it sets the tone, if you will, for private worship. So look with me in verses 16 through 18 at our text. I'm going to read it, then I'm going to pray, and then we'll work through this together this morning. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You pray with me. Lord, we come again this Lord's Day to your word, God, to your unchanging word. And God, I ask that you would grant us humility, Lord. God, I ask that we're so prone to have calloused hearts. We're so prone to have distracted minds. God, we we are prone to compartmentalize our worship of you to to just Sunday morning. And so, God, I, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us. I pray, God, that we would see how the way that we worship here is a corporate people how, how it can impact our lives as individual Christians, God. So teach us this morning from your word. Help us to have understanding, help us to have clarity, and help us most of all to walk away savoring Christ, seeing Christ. 
knowing Christ, drawing near to Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes, I'm going to start at the very end of this passage of Scripture. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Being in Christ is stabilizing for us. It's stabilizing for us. It's stabilizing for us in good times. It's stabilizing for us in bad times as well. Right? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Right? That, that's what this series is about. God, God's revealed will for our lives. And, and our passage this morning says that, that it's God's will in Jesus Christ that we rejoice. It's God's will in Jesus Christ that we pray It's God's will in Jesus Christ that we give thanks in all circumstances when we come together as God's church. When we come together and we do what we're doing right now in this very moment. On the Lord's Day, what we're doing when we come here is we're remembering our fixed position in Jesus. We are those, our identity is those that are in Christ. We're in Christ, and we need that reminder, right? I need that reminder because I'm forgetful, and God in his grace and in his mercy has built in for us just this weekly recalibration of our mindset that has the capacity to seep into the rest of our week. Studies show that we retain what we're put in a position to recall. And God's ordained it that we have these regular rhythms in our week to recall our identities, to be reminded that we're those that are in Christ Jesus. We were once orphans, but we're no longer orphans. I love the, this, this um, illustration I read years ago about how God in Christ Jesus, is, it's as if he's, he's picked us up at this orphanage in this car. Right? But, and we're on this way home from this orphanage, and we're no longer orphans. Right? We're adopted sons and daughters of the Most High King. But as we're in the car, we're not, on the way, we're not, on, we're not home yet, we're on the way home. And we, we still have our orphan clothes on, and we still smell like the orphanage. And because of that, when we're in the car, we're prone to believe that we're still orphans, but we're no longer orphans. We're adopted sons and daughters of our Most High God. We are those who are in Christ Jesus. That's our identities. And, and recalling our position in Jesus is, is crucial, right? We're forgetful. We're led astray by circumstances. As I, I, I was spending some time praying even this morning over, over um, just the Word uh, before I came here, I was reminded of a, a pastor recently who've been in pastoral ministry for a really long time, a, a pastor that I think most of us would trust, a pastor who's, who's published many books, a pastor who ran in conservative evangelical circles, um, who due to a difficult pastorate and, and I'm sure plenty other circumstances that I know nothing about because I don't know him personally, um, but he has chosen to renounce the faith. He's chosen to, to call it quits and to say, you know what, this stuff that, I w- that I've been preaching and I've been dedicated to for so long, it's not true. Right? And, 
And we shouldn't look at that and say, man, I can't, I can't believe that guy. I cannot believe the, the arrogance of that man to denounce the, this faith that he preached to this congregation for many years. I can't believe that guy. We should look and say, and but for the grace of God, there go I. I'm prone to being deceived. I'm prone to denouncing the faith. I'm prone for, uh, of, of having my heart grow calloused to the things of God. And I need to be reminded that I'm in Christ Jesus. I need to be reminded. King Solomon, he reminds us in, in Proverbs chapter 30. My wife used to have this posted in our, our car. And it's always just... It's always rolling around somewhere in the back of my head, but he reminds us that there's dangers for us in good seasons and in bad seasons. In verses seven through nine, he says, two things I ask of you, speaking to the Lord here, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. And then get this, he says, now give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Why is that? He answers that in verse 9. Lest I be full. If I have too much, I'll be full and I'll deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. There there are dangers in riches. We we may begin to believe the lie that we're self-sufficient. Right? And when we begin to believe that lie, we, we begin practically to, to deny the Lord. And we deny the Lord by not acknowledging that everything that we have comes from his generous hands. Everything. Right? That's the beauty of, I think, the tithe. That's the beauty of, of us having this opportunity every Lord's Day to, to give of our resources. Have you ever thought that, that giving money to a local church isn't primarily about your local church needing it, but it's a grace from God to keep your heart from being deceived by the love of money. Isn't our God kind in that he puts us in positions to keep our hearts soft, to ensure that we we don't allow these little idols to creep up? And we deny the Lord in riches when we think that we're sovereign or we're in control over our circumstances. And in, in, a, in a way, we begin to believe we are the God of our life. It's the danger of riches. And there's also a danger in poverty that Solomon says, if our, eye, if our eyes turn away from Christ, as, as Peter's eyes turned away from Christ, when instead of looking at Jesus, he looked at his circumstances, right? He looked at the waves crashing. He became fearful begin to see Christ not as all-powerful, but begin to look at these dire circumstances as the very things that are going to take him over, and, and it led him to a place of despair. And we, our danger is the same as the rich man. We end up trying to take matters into our own hands, and, and we begin to succumb to this, this thinking or this worldview that the ends justify the means, so whatever means is necessary. Some of you this morning, you're going through a a, a rich season in life. You have your health, you have the dream job you've always wanted, or the kids are are well-behaved, things are good with your spouse, there's some cushion in the savings account, and, and, and you're busy. And in your busyness, things begin to be neglected. Corporate worship begins to become sporadic. 
family worship from there begins to be almost non-existent. Your own communion with the Lord, you don't, you don't have time for that. And maybe you're not denying God's goodness in, in earthly, these, these, these creature comforts, but practically you're denying the Lord. You're busy. You're busy far beyond a, a good work ethic. You've developed some, a, a sort of savior complex, if you will. Right? You're busy because this season of wealth has taken priority over your worship of the Lord. And then some of you this morning, you're, you're in a season of poverty. And, and maybe you've been there for a while. Cancer, the loss of a loved one, desertion by a spouse, uh, a difficult marriage, the loss of a job, the loss of your reputation, living paycheck to paycheck, a body that's wearing out. The feeling of isolation or loneliness or depression. You feel like you've, you, you've been in a wilderness for, for far too long. You're, you're in danger as well. You're in danger too. You're in danger of, of becoming embittered toward the Lord. You're in danger of becoming envious of others or, or coveting uh, your perception of their lifestyle. You're in danger of feeling like you've been forgotten by God. The way out, according to the Apostle Paul, is is corporate worship. The way out is corporate worship. This day that that Christians, since the resurrection of Jesus, have met on, this day is good. It's good. Daniel just said a moment ago, um, right at the beginning of the service, it's good to be here. It really is good. And I don't think we, we oftentimes feel the weight of how good it is for our souls to be here. This day is good. This day reminds you that you're not an individual Christian. You're a corporate person. You're the body of Christ. And this day's a a type of detox. Have you ever been on a cleansing diet? It seems like each week there's a different fad for that, right? I can't even keep up with it. Some of the things that used to be good for you aren't good for you anymore. Some of the things that are good for you, they'll kill you, and so on and so forth. But if you've ever been on a cleansing diet, the reason why you're going on a cleansing diet is because you're, you're, trying, to, you're trying to flush your system, if you will, right? You're trying to reboot your system. You're trying to get all these unhealthy things out. Uh, you're trying to purify your body, if you will. And, and I think that the, that the Lord's Day, the... the Illustration falls short in some regards, but the Lord's Day is, is a type of detox, right? It's, it's, it's a sort of a, a cleansing for us that should impact the rest of our week. It confronts those lies that we are prone to believe as isolated Christians, and it purges them as we repent in response to how good and kind our God is for us in the gospel, in response to to the singing of God's word and remembering who we are, in response to the preaching and the praying of God's word as we repent. The lies are purged. The the prescription of this day, this Sunday, is is gospel-centered remembrance. Remembrance that we're in Christ. Remembrance that, 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 that we're on our way home, and that what God has for us, it's getting us in shape for eternity. Look with me on point two. 
That was just point one. You got three more hours to go. Buckle up. So point two, rejoice. Rejoice. Verse 16 says that, rejoice always. All right, Paul is encouraging this suffering, persecuted congregation to rejoice together. Right? There's nothing wrong. I think happiness has gotten such a bad rap in Christian culture. We're like scared of the word almost. We should be the happiest people on the planet. Right? We shouldn't let an unbelieving culture hijack that word. Those of us that are in Christ know what happiness is. We know what pleasure is. We know what joy is. Joy is, is, is what he, he, Paul's meaning here. It, it really is this intentional gladness or this intentional happiness that's not grounded in circumstances. It's not grounded in these persecutions that, that the, uh, the Church of Thessalonica is experiencing. It's grounded in Christ Jesus. Rejoice, right? Each Sunday is, is a, a feast for us, preparing us for this wedding banquet that we're going to enjoy when our groom, Christ Jesus, returns to us and makes everything new, right? Takes all the bad stuff and makes it right, wipes every tear away from our eyes. That's what we're preparing for as we come together and we worship as a, as a corporate people. It's this feast. Listen to a couple of passages on the matter. I love these passages. It's, um, Moses says in Deuteronomy 14, and Spend the money on whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. He's talking to God's people here, Okay. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. There's some hospitality that, that are in there as well. Look at Ecclesiastes 1.8. I commend joy, says the wisest man, earthly person, sinful person who's ever lived. He said, I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful for this will go with him in his toil, toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. These are, these are uh, encouragements to celebrate. To celebrate. They're, they're written to God's people. This is this commendation of joy and this celebration. It's lavish. You know, when you're reading it, you're, you're almost thinking, what gluttony? <laughs> what gluttony is commended here? But, but it's not gluttony because God's at the center of it. Right? God's at the center of it. This, 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 we have this, this, this command from the Word to celebrate before the Lord our God. Right? We're celebrating, our, our celebrating is mindful of the Lord our God. It's thankful to the Lord our God who's this great gift giver. There's one writer that says this, we think of the Lord's Day, and I would, even, I would even go further than that and say even just the Christian life, but we think of the Lord's Day, think of the Christian life um, as fasting when it's a feast. It's a feast. We think the Psalms were given to mortify the flesh when they were in fact given for the overflow of the Spirit. We love little and we laugh even less. The way out is repentance. The reason we see the, the Christian faith as solely a fast, 
and, and fail to associate joy and happiness and gladness with it is because we don't understand what true Christ-exalting celebration is. Right? Our type of celebration is oftentimes it's cheap. It's, it's thankless. It's passive. There's no vision for it. Uh, there's no vision of the kingdom of God that comes with it. There's no gospel-centered hospitality to it. Our rejoicing in the Lord in the midst of good times and in the midst of bad times, it's a discipline to be established here in our corporate worship service so that we can continue rejoicing as we eat and as we drink, as we work, as we play. As believers, we have much to be joyful about, don't we? We have lots to be joyful about. Abraham Kuyper, he was the founder of Free Amsterdam University in the the Netherlands. He said this in his inaugural speech at the school. He said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Christians have more reason to celebrate than any other person because we have a king who rules and owns everything. Right? That's exciting, isn't it? Right? The only response to that, the only re- appropriate response to that is for us to rejoice, is for us to celebrate, is for us to, to throw a party because Christ is king, he's ruling and reigning, and he's declared that everything is his. And Paul knew that a rejoicing people, that they, they are a persevering people. They are the people that will persevere in their confession that Christ is Lord. Point three here, prayer. Pray without ceasing. Without ceasing here isn't so much a command to never not be praying, but it's it's having this, this prayerful posture, this mindfulness that we're absolutely dependent upon the Lord. And, and this type of posture is learned through corporate worship. Again, and I haven't mentioned this yet, but all these verbs that we're working through, rejoicing and praying without ceasing, and in just a minute, giving thanks in all circumstances, all of these uh, verbs, they're plural. They're plural. God is, uh, Paul is writing to a corporate people. Again, it's, it's primarily connected to how we worship in the corporate service so that it can set the tone for the rest uh, of our lives, for the rest of our weeks, for our individual worship. But But this type of prayer, this praying without ceasing, this dependent kind of walking in in the the power of the Spirit um, is is a posture that's learned through corporate worship. Prayer is a major component of, 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 of corporate worship. It's a major component of our corporate worship. In fact, we every two weeks, Pastor Randy just mentioned it, next Sunday uh, we'll spend some time after we uh, have some time in the Word of God, we'll sing some, uh, spend some time singing, but then we'll have around 45 minutes of corporate prayer where we're praying for various needs in our body, international missions we're involved in, local missions, we're praying for other churches, and, and we can come together, pray out loud, and we can learn um, uh, about uh, a prayer there. We can, we can grow to be disciplined to have this posture of dependence upon the Lord. 
Right? We pray together on Sunday mornings. We've already prayed together several times this morning. We're looking at ancient prayers that, that uh, those who have gone before us have faithfully prayed that is teaching us something about who God is, teaching us something about who we are, and, and reminding us that our God in Christ Jesus is in fact approachable and he hears us. And it's okay to imitate what you see in corporate worship. We talked a little bit about this last week, right? Imitation's gotten a bad rap, but imitation's actually a good thing, right? Again, Philippians chapter 2, we're to uh, have the mindset that is ours in Christ Jesus. Or the Apostle Paul telling the church of Corinth, follow me as I follow Christ. We should uh, find godly men, godly women that we can imitate so we can learn and so we can grow. And um, this is how we uh, can practice. This is how we can develop habits. And we do this um, uh, primarily, we learn these things through corporate worship. One of the reasons why um, we invite different people in the body to come and pray for our offering time is so that you can see um, you can see other people in the context of this church body offering prayers to the Lord. It's okay to imitate those prayers, to learn from those men. And when I think of prayer, I think of Jesus' invitation to, to come to him. Right? Come to me all who labor. Come to me, all who are heavy laden. In Christ, he promises rest. I have found prayer to be a, a, a very restful discipline, a very restful exercise. It's this opening of my hands and, and me confessing what's already true. My confession of it doesn't make it, make it any more true, but it's this confession that, that, that God is sovereign and in control and I'm not. Right? There's something freeing. There's something that, that I can feel these burdens that I, I place on myself. I can feel those begin to release as I acknowledge that unchanging truth. And, and the beauty is we can bring all of our cares, all of our concerns, all of our anxieties, all of our depressions, all of the things that, that are on our mind about other people that we love, the missionaries that we support. We can bring those things and we can speak to God. It's our privilege to speak to God. He's ordained that we could speak to him. And because of Christ Jesus and because of the Holy Spirit living in us, he's faithful to hear us. He's faithful to hear us. He's not absent. He's not distant. He's not cold. He's approachable because we're in Christ. He delights to hear us pray. He's not bothered by our prayers. One of the catechisms that we're teaching our boys um, during the week, the question is, why should you glorify God? And the answer to that question in this catechism is because he loves me and takes care of me. When's the last time you thought about that? We have a God, and I'm reminded of that so often through prayer. Right? If, you, if we have evidence in the finished work of Christ that we have a God who loves us and takes care of us. We also have the evidence through the body of Christ that the Lord has provided that he loves us and takes care of us. We have evidence that the Lord loves us and takes care of us because he's, he's provided a way in which we can speak to him and he hears us. Prayer reminds me. Unrushed, unhurried prayer reminds me that God really does love us and he really does take care of us. Fourth, 
the finished work of Christ drives thankfulness in all circumstances. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. The, the Greek word here for give thanks is this, the same word that we get the word Eucharist from. If you're familiar with, with that, that word Eucharist. Right? Paul, Paul's use of this word, it would have reminded the suffering Thessalonians, it would have reminded them of their suffering Savior. Right? Jesus Christ who, who came and lived in the shadow of our sin suffered, was given a criminal's death, had the wrath of God poured out on him for our sin. Right? Paul, Paul is saying, in effect, he's saying, I, I know things are beyond difficult. I know your circumstances seem impossible and you're experiencing so much persecution, but you're identifying, in your suffering, you are identifying with your suffering Savior. What a privilege. What, 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 what joy to suffer like your king. And we should give thanks because his, his suffering led to your salvation. Right? The, the ways of God are, are not like the ways of man. Right? The, the suffering of his son made an eternal difference for us, right? Christ, through his suffering, he, he absorbed all the wrath of God for my sin and for your sin. Right? Those sins of yesterday, those sins of, of today, those sins that have yet to come, those sins of tomorrow. Christ absorbed the wrath of God for that. The Jesus Storybook Bible, if you've ever heard of it, it's a fantastic little Bible to read to your children to help them understand the big picture uh, of the Scripture, to help them understand that, that all of the Old Testament uh, and New Testament, it's all centered around Christ Jesus. Um, but uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones, who's the author, she puts it this way. The full force of the storm of God's fierce anger at sin was coming down. It was coming down on his own son. It was coming down on his son instead of his people. It was the only way God could destroy sin and not destroy his children whose hearts were filled with sin. Then Jesus shouted out in a loud voice, It is finished. And it was. He had done it. The, the finished work of Jesus, it should drive us to thankfulness in all circumstances, right? Now, if God never blessed us again, it's okay because he's reconciled us in Christ Jesus. And that's enough. That's enough. He's rescued us from the hell that we deserve. And he's given us what Christ deserves. In corporate worship on the Lord's Day, right, we learn these things. We learn these things and we establish habits of worship that we can take into our own personal lives. We're reminded that, that we're, we're prone to forget because sin makes us forgetful. And we remember that, that, that we're a people in Christ Jesus, right, or orphans, no longer. We've been adopted. We're on our way home. And we remember that we can, in fact, rejoice. We can celebrate and we should be good at it because we're believers. In corporate worship, we learn to pray. We learn to pray in good times and in bad times. We learn to develop this, 
posture of dependence on the Lord. It doesn't increase our dependence on the Lord, but our acknowledgement, our awareness increases. And in corporate worship, we learn and we establish the discipline of giving thanks because Christ has reconciled us through a suffering. By God's grace, he sealed us with his resurrection. He's given us his Holy Spirit who perseveres us until we acquire possession of it. It's good. You guys pray with me. Lord, help us not to rush past rejoicing. Help us not be in a hurry in our rejoicing. Help us to not be in a hurry in prayer. Help us to increase our mindfulness of our dependence on you. Lord, help increase our thankfulness for, because of what you've accomplished for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, help that be on the forefront of our minds, God, and soften our hearts to that truth, God. We can be so callous to it. Yes, Jesus died for me. I know that. Let's move on. Lord, may we never get past that. May we obsess about it. So, Lord, help us to be a rejoicing, prayerful, thankful church. For the glory of your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you would like to spend some time in prayer, um, we have a prayer team that's always standing by. Can you guys just raise your hand so that I can put you on the spot and they can identify you? There's one back there, two up here. And listen, they, they can, if you want to spend some time praying and you don't want to even pray right here uh, in the midst of just the, busy, the hustle and bustle of everybody get, singing and leaving, uh, you can meet with them off to the side in one of these rooms if you would like. Uh, if you want to talk more about the gospel, um, if, if you want to learn about prayer from them, I know it would be their pleasure to, to pray with you about that. And so utilize them. Um, I know they'd love to speak with you. And, uh, and with that said, we are going to go out singing about the resurrection yes. of Jesus, right? All right, would you guys stand with us?